This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. My name is Naomi Jackson, and I'm just going to be sharing a little bit about um, Outpost Ministry, just really broad what that is, my personal experience with that, um, some stories and what some of those opportunities are out there. Um, so before we get started, I just want to invite you to have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so privileged to be here in Houston for GYC. We thank you for the opportunity to be worshiping together, to be um, learning new things, meeting new people, and also just taking a closer look at our, at our own lives and how you would have us to get involved in your work. I want to ask that you would be with us during this hour. I ask for your presence, for your spirit, that you'd give the words and, and um, bring to mind the experiences that may need to be shared for someone here in particular. Thank you so much for being with us and for allowing us to work alongside you. In Jesus' name, amen. So a question for you. When you think of missionaries, like when I say that word, the first thing that comes to your mind, what, what do you think of? Just tell me the first word that comes to your mind. What type of occupations do, does the typical missionary have in your mind? Okay. More specifically, what sort of occupations do we think of? What sort of work do we think of maybe when we, when we hear the word missionary? Oh, that, it's, if they're a missionary, they're probably this, this, or this. A doctor? Self-supporter? Yeah. Nurse? Pastor? Accountant? That's, that's a good one. <laughs> that's an excellent one. Well, yeah, for me, when I first was thinking about what it is to be a missionary, some of the things that you mentioned are exactly what came to mind. And some of what you mentioned were completely foreign to me. So I thought of a pastor or a Bible worker, somebody who is specifically out there to do evangelism, to preach the gospel. I also thought of a teacher. Um, you know, you hear of the teachers that go overseas to teach people English or they're working in, in a school in a school, in a village, or something like that, I think of teachers. And I also thought of the medical professionals, the doctors and the nurses, the physician's assistants. So, so the question then becomes, what do you do if you're not any of those things? Could I ask, if there, are there any pastors here or Bible workers here? Okay, would you mind standing up? My friend Daniel there. Do we have any teachers in the room? Any teachers? Don't be shy. You can stand up, you're missionaries. Okay, excellent. Do we have any medical professionals? Stay standing if you wouldn't mind. Me okay, any other medical professionals? Okay, so what about the rest of us? Thank you, you can be seated. What about the rest of us? I don't know if any of you have asked yourselves that question, like what do I do if I'm not a pastor, I'm not a Bible worker, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a medical professional? Yes, ma'am. I know some people I know that went on the work, like the Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, in my case, you know, I really wrestled with that. How am I supposed to be a missionary if I'm not any of those things? Now, I am a vocalist. I trained, my training is in music. That's what I studied. That's what I graduated with. But I really have not seen like this major demand for singers out there in the jungle. And so I kind of had to reckon with that. This is just, this is just the reality. Though I, I will share that I, I was actually mistaken, but that was my background. And so I was really asking myself this question, what does it mean to be a missionary? Um, and I was interested in missions from, from you know, my teenager, teenage years, but wasn't really sure how to answer that question for myself. Once I got to college and started studying music, and, you know, I happened to go as a student missionary to an Adventist school in Austria. I was uh, assistant deaning there at my Adventist university. And maybe any of you here that have gone to Adventist universities, you've heard this said as well, that we should give one year for the Lord. We should, like, dedicate a year to the Lord. And so that's your student mission year. And so I went off to Austria. You know, it's kind of funny because we would have these mission classes in preparation for all the student missionaries. And they'd say, you know, you're going to get that package with toilet paper and, you know, that, those big francs and, you know, those, those products that you so needed that you thought you'd never get. And I'm like, I'm in Austria. I don't need toilet paper. So, you know, that was, that was my experience. But being there, I... I realized that's when like the training began to really kick in that, um, you know, we say we should dedicate one year of our lives, but really that's just like the kickstart, like really our whole lives are supposed to be dedicated. So what does that look like? I, after my time in Austria, went to, started nannying in Germany for a non-Christian family. And that was my first time outside of, um, outside of the Adventist world, you could say. I mean, I, I grew up in, in an Adventist Christian home. Um, I went to Adventist schools all throughout my life, and now I'm taking care of four children in Germany, and they're not even Christian. And how was I even supposed to share my faith with them? And I remember I, you know, uh, unfortunately when I got there, I don't know why it didn't dawn on me that maybe I should mention to, to them that I'm vegetarian, which, you know, for a, a bread and meat eating people and potatoes that's kind of critical so you know just that whole shift in in my thinking i'm praying over my meal and the children are asking him what's she doing why are her eyes closed what's going on you know I'm like try and concentrate on the prayer pray a blessing over this jam you know whatever and and i realized i needed to learn how to really share my faith how to relate to people that were not of the same faith. I mean, it was a blessing to be in that, in that community, in the Adventist community, but how was I supposed to come outside of that? And it was from that experience working in that non-Christian home for 10 months that I decided to go to a mission school in Norway um, under the Heartgood Foundation is the name of the foundation. That, that's what still exists. You can look online, the Heartgood Foundation. And um, I decided, you know, I want to train to become a missionary. I want to learn how to share what I believe and learn how to work with people. And this was my second experience in, in an outpost ministry. The first experience, I was 12 and didn't even realize what was going on. So I'm now, you know, college age 
in Norway and I'm saying, okay, we have, so we have this mission school here and we're all here for like nine months of our lives and for learning how to give Bible studies and learning how to give a massage and learning how to do hydrotherapy and all these things and working in the garden and I'm trying to figure out how to plant cucumbers and tomatoes and this is so foreign, I'm from the city. And, you know, then you go walk down the street a little bit and at the church building, they also have the bakery and the health food store and, you know, that's great and take, the, take an hour trip and you're in the mountains with their lifestyle center and all these things. I mean, this was so new to me. But the more I experienced it, the more I felt like it made sense for that singer who was trying to figure out what does it mean to be a missionary when I'm not the pastor, the Bible worker, the teacher, or the medical professional. And so it was during that time at that very first outpost ministry that I recognized what was, what was going on, that as a class we had a mission trip and half of our class went to Honduras, the other half went to Tanzania. And I chose to go to Honduras. And this ministry there, Vida Internacional, they, had, they started about nine years ago and they were birthed from a couple of graduates from this same mission school that I had attended in Norway. And, and I mean, we were like, the, the, the team at the time were late teenage years and early 20s. So, you know, we were youngins and just trying to figure out what, what's going on in this world here in this village in Honduras, a rural area with about a population of 6,000. There had been no Adventists in this community um, nine years, 10 years prior. And they had been doing Bible work and they were getting ready to open up their medical missionary training program. And... You know, I was only supposed to be there for a couple of months and then head back to Norway to finish my medical missionary training. But they asked if I would stay because of my experience, you know, with deaning and being a resident advisor at my, my university and such. And once again, the Lord started taking those opportunities and really settling in my mind. You know, what in the world do you do when you're out in the country? And in our case in Honduras, there no electricity. Um, some days you had running water and some days you didn't. And you had to figure out how to take a bath, you know, things like this. What, what do you do when you're out there? And we're these young people. We don't really know how to make this work. Um, but it was really exciting. The Lord really used those opportunities um, to open my eyes to what outpost ministry is, how we can all get involved in the work, how each one of us as, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians can have a spot in the Lord's work. And I want to tell you a little bit about what an outpost ministry is through the concept of the Madison School. Maybe some of you have heard of that. But first, to get into that, we need to take a trip into Tennessee. I live in Tennessee now. It's a beautiful place. So join me there, the Cumberland River. It was June 1904. The Morning Star was journeying down the Cumberland River and Edson White was the owner of the Morning Star, and on board that day was a man by the name of Edward A. Edward A. Sutherland, and he had recently resigned as president from Emanuel Missionary College, which was located in Berrien Springs. So E. A. Sutherland, he was just enjoying the scenery and you know chatting with people. Well, also on board that day was as he would call her, Mother White. And she was just also taking in um, the sights, just really enjoying the nature. And really, they were on a very special journey. The goal was to find a piece of property where they could start um, a school. 
they were actually looking for two pieces of property a school to train um, black young people and another property for, to start a school to train young white people. And so the idea was find a piece of property and start that school. Sutherland, you know what to do. You've been working in schools for quite some time. Well, unfortunately, they had a little mechanical issues with the Morning Star and they had to make a, little, a short stop. And really, Mother White was quite delighted at their stopping point. Sutherland, on the other hand, was not, because they happened to stop in front of the Ferguson-Nelson farm. Now, to you or to me, that may mean absolutely nothing. I've never seen the Ferguson-Nelson farm personally. But Mother White had had a vision that this particular property was just the spot to start a school. This is where Sutherland and one of his dear friends, Percy McGann, was supposed to start a self-supporting school. They were supposed to start an outpost center not far outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Well, Sutherland was not interested. It was an old slave trader's headquarters. The soil was awful, rocky, weedy. He had no desire to try and start a project there. And yet, Mother White said, this is the place. This is the place that the Lord has directed us to. And, you know, Sutherland and McGann were thinking this over. You know, there's some similarities to Avondale, I suppose. They didn't have the greatest property when they started out. And they're flourishing now, but I don't want to go into this. It's just the worst place possible. And so Sutherland and McGann really wrestled over um, starting this medical missionary training program, this school on the Ferguson-Nelson farm. It was the ugliest thing they had seen, but they recognized that if they did not surrender, they were going specifically against the will of God. They knew that this property was what God had intended for them. And so eventually they did, they did allow the Lord to lead in that direction. They decided, okay, after three visits to the Ferguson Nelson Farm, we're going to accept this as the place that God has indicated for us to start a school. And as I mentioned, Sutherland was no stranger to education. Um, he had been influential, actually, in the relocation of Battle Creek College to Berrien Springs, where Emanuel Missionary College was established. And he had also been the president at Walla Walla and a couple of other institutions. So he was ready to, to get this work underway. In fact, actually, when he was at Emanuel Missionary College, he, he was quite the revolutionary. He and McGann, he tore up the tennis court and the baseball field and planted a vegetable garden, which, you know, some people may think that's a great idea and others may not. But that's what he did. And this was really his, his desire was to go back to the form of education that, um, that Ellen White had been talking about, the type of education that she said, would be what would, would help us to actually um, see Christ come. And so he felt the need to answer that call, and he resigned from EMC and, and headed south, because she had also said, you know, we need to do some work in the south. It has not recovered since the Civil War, but if we can bring some schools here, something significant can happen. And so that's what became of the Ferguson Nelson Farm. It became a school. And Sutherland and McGann had the hope that their graduates would end up learning so many practical things so well, so thoroughly, that they would leave 
Madison School and start other little Madisons all over. So they were learning things like construction and agriculture and, and cooking and sewing and how to really establish a strong educational program and how to work in a church. This is what these students there were learning and they were learning from the ground. I mean, they built every building they lived in. This was something that the students and the staff worked on together. And he just, they just really hoped that they would start establishing new, um, new ministries according to the Madison model. And there were a few principles that, that they always had in mind for the Madison School. The first outpost ministry that we know of more in our, in our modern day. And one was self-sacrifice. They expected that anybody that came to Madison School had an attitude of sacrifice. They had to be willing to give. They had to be willing to live without. They had to be willing to eat the same meal every day. They had to be willing to build their own, you know, their own dorm. They had to be willing to live without a stipend if that was, if that was necessary. Self-sacrifice. They also believed in self-support. They didn't want to be dependent upon donations coming to see the project grow. They wanted to be able to support themselves, sustain themselves, planting a garden and, and things like that, developing an industry. They believed in strict economy. They were very good stewards of the money that did come their way. They really wanted to honor God in all that they, in all that they did in their different endeavors at the Madison School. In the education program, more specifically, they believed in teaching one subject at a time, which every college student here knows that just doesn't happen. You're juggling several different classes all at the same time. But their idea was have a few hours a day of classes, focus on that one class, and then spend time out working with your hands. That practical education was valuable as well. And they believed in self-government. The students and the staff would work together and come up with the principles to run the campus. These are the consequences if we do this. That was a group decision. And that was the foundation um, of Madison College. Once the school was established, um, a, a few years later, they added on a wellness center, also based on the council from Ellen White, to have a school and a sanitarium close to each other. And so people were really excited to see what was happening in Madison School. It was revolutionary. People hadn't seen anything like it. And there was a lot going on even in the world in the area of education, a lot of changes that were taking place in people's minds. But Madison School was truly a model. In fact, there were several different publications that started to actually share what was going on. People were excited that college-age students could go to school and work their entire way through and not get in an ounce of debt. This was something that they hadn't really seen before. And so Reader's Digest shows up, and the New York Times shows up, and Ripley's Believe It or Not shows up. And even Eleanor Roosevelt writes an article about Madison School. I mean, this was a big deal. Well, unfortunately, we can't really visit or register to attend Madison School. Maybe there's some of you who are like, sign me up. What's the website? Let me register today. It closed down in 1965, but it did reach its goal. Sutherland's dream of seeing its, his graduates go out and start projects all over the place um, for the sake of spreading the gospel, of bringing the gospel to initially in the South and eventually seeing that spread around the world. But this was that first outpost center, Madison School. And ever since then, 
There are lay people and pastors and, and other church workers that, that really believe that this, this is something that works. This is a way for Adventist Christians to get involved, no matter what gifts, no matter what talents, no matter what career God has actually given them. So with that in mind, with the history of the first, the first outpost ministry, let's kind of take that and figure out what exactly is an outpost ministry. Well, first, we go into the country pack our bags, leave the cities, head out into a rural area that's still within the vicinity of a city. That's very important. And we start there like Madison School started. We start with an education program, a program that strives to teach its students how to work the soil, how to balance the books, how to, to treat diseases naturally. Um, we talk about how to sew, how to cook. I mean, some of these things we don't even find in our schools much anymore. It's like, okay, is it, is it faster to just go to, go to the store and buy my clothing or, or sew it? But these are the practical things that, that the students were taught and things that we still need today. You know, our buttons do still fall off of our clothing. So things like this that they taught their students, they wanted their students to know construction, um, you know, how to really sustain themselves to be able to replicate this anywhere in the world. And at the foundation of all of this was the Bible. That was the textbook they were supposed to be working with. That was, was to be their guidebook. So you have the education program in your outpost center. Then you also have the farm. Obviously, you have students, you have staff. You need to be able to feed everybody. And that farm can also serve as a source of income. You need to be able to support yourselves. Um, perhaps you can sell what you, what you grow in your farm if your farm is large enough. So there's a lot, of, a lot of work going on there. And that's the perfect place for the students to get their hands dirty and learn how this works. And th from that experience, they'll be able to go to their own homes and start this up again. We also have a wellness center, or a sanitarium, as it was called. And... This was also supposed to be out in the countryside. Obviously, you needed medical professionals, but you also had um, students that, would, that participated in these programs that had hands-on opportunities to practice massage on the wellness guests, to practice their hydrotherapy treatments, to apply charcoal poultices, to do fomentations. And all these, these different things that they were learning in the education program, they were able to put it into practice right away in the wellness center. And also, we're going to look more in, in depth on some of these things, but also we find um, publishing work. The, the literature that um, they were producing should be based in the countryside. But remember, the goal was not just to have like this amazing Adventist resort out in the country, just this place for retreat where we would just isolate ourselves. No, the goal was that through the work at the Outpost Center, you'd actually be reaching the cities. And that's, that's critical. So that means the students in their training, they'd be heading to the cities to get Bible studies, heading to the cities to share the, the knowledge that they've gained in diseases and treatments, in natural remedies, in massage, in hydrotherapy. They, the, the medical professionals could head to the cities and share their knowledge as well, meet some of those needs of those people living in the cities. You could take the produce from your farm or, for example, a bakery and sell that in town. 
you can share the literature that you're producing out in the countryside into the cities. So you're taking it from the outpost to the city. That was always the goal. And it's interesting because when we just turn to scripture to look at this concept of outpost ministries, Enoch is the person that is often mentioned. Um, you know, if you have the chance to, to study this more in depth on your own time, you'll find that Enoch is mentioned in several cases. And um, I want to just share this quote with you from Ministry to the Cities, page 11. It says, Enoch did not make his abode with the wicked. He placed himself and his family where the atmosphere would be as pure as possible. Then at times he went forth to the inhabitants of the world with his God-given message. Now, we know that from, from based on Genesis 5, that Enoch was 65 years, had a son, and then walked 300 years with God, and then he was translated. His relationship with God had grown so close that it, that it made much more sense for God to take him at that time. We don't know much else from Scripture about what his life was like, but, but um, Spirit of Prophecy gives us this insight. So what exactly was his God-given message? I think it's really interesting in the context of of um, the theme for this year's GYC, when all has been heard. Jude 14 actually tells us what his message was. It says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So clearly... Enoch's message was one of judgment. It was one of repentance. It was one of turn in the opposite direction. You're going the wrong way. There is a better way to live. And it's interesting, the quote in, in Ministry to the Cities continues. It says, after proclaiming his message, he always took back with him to his place of retirement some who had received the warning. More and more, as wickedness increases in the great cities, we shall have to work them from outpost centers. This is the way Enoch labored in the days before the flood, when wickedness was rife in every populous community and when violence was in the land. So how many of you say, would say that wickedness is rife in our community, that there is violence in the land? Definitely. We know this to be true. You don't have to, to look at the news or read the news for very long to realize that that's the case. And it's interesting because... This is how Enoch labored. So we have Mr. and Mrs. Enoch who decide to set up house in the countryside, turn it into an outpost center. They're, enjoy, they're in, in a beautiful environment where they can enjoy nature and really learn from God's lesson book. And on occasion, they head out to the city, and Enoch starts to preach this message of repentance. And the altar call begins, and the music plays, and decisions are made. People stand up for the truth. And what does he do? He doesn't just leave them in the city. He invites them to this sanctuary that God has provided for him out in nature, out away from the city. He invites them to his home, into his outpost center, into his outpost ministry, so that they can learn a new way of life. And there's, there, we can find parallels there. You know, we think of of bringing people into wellness centers out in the countryside that they can experience a new way of life. So we want to look a little bit more at some quotes that uh, Spirit of Prophecy 
talks about what sort of things should be in the country, what sort of things should be in the city, and, and talk a little bit about why that is. And I just hope, you know, for any of you that are here that are maybe trying to figure out, well, what should I do in my country home, or, or how can, how is this applicable in my life? I hope some of these things will just give you some ideas based on the, the gifts that God has given you. So you're going to see um, in blue uh, the, the aspects of ministry that should be in the city, and in green, those that should be in the countryside. You'll see a little bit of repetition as we go through. So from the book Country Living, it says, Repeatedly, the Lord has instructed us that we are to work the cities from outpost centers. In these cities, we are to have houses of worship as memorials for God, but institutions for the publication of our literature, for the healing of the sick, and for the training of workers are to be established outside the cities. Especially, it is important that our youth be shielded from the temptations of city life. So we have houses of worship, in the cities. Let's, let's start there. Why would that be? Well, from my own personal experience, I, before I moved to Tennessee three years ago, I was working at an outpost ministry in Honduras, as I mentioned, and um, when the ministry first started, they actually had the church on the campus of that ministry. Now, this was a rural area, but it was still you know, 6,000 people living together that has certain implications to it. And the ministry was located about a 15-minute walk outside of the town. So at the beginning, maybe it made sense, you know, to have the church located where the ministry was. And as people became more familiar with the truth, they'd come, they'd, they'd join um, in the church services. But there was a little bit of a challenge because... Um, to get from the village to the town meant that you, from, sorry, from the village to the ministry to attend church meant that you had to pass the cemetery. And at night, when there's no street lamps, even the best of us are like, oh, the cemetery. So, you know, that wasn't something that they really liked doing. And frankly, in the rainy season, the, the creek would grow, and it was extremely difficult for people to pass through. I mean, you'd have water above your knees and you're trying to cross this creek and you hope that you don't slip things like this it wasn't the best situation and in the time the ministry decided we need to have a church where the people are on the main street right next to the, the on the other side of the street of the plaza in view of the catholic church the main thoroughfare in the in that town so this is really important the houses of worship need to be where the people are they need to be where people can find them. It shouldn't be difficult for people to get to our churches. It shouldn't be difficult for them to hear the message. So we have that in, in, the, country, in, the, in the city. But what about in the countryside? Here we see a, a, basically an overview. Our publishing work, our wellness centers, our lifestyle centers, our training programs, and our people, our missionaries, our workers should be in the countryside. Why? Because we want to shield people from the temptations of city life. If you are a lifestyle guest and you have an extremely stressful life, uh, you have a very busy job, you're struggling with health issues, you have diabetes or you have heart disease or you know, you, you've been struggling to sleep, the best thing for you to do is leave that environment and find yourself in a new place where you can really truly find some peace and connect with God. 
And it's the same for the workers. Um, ideally, the workers don't necessarily have to spend all of their time in the city. They can retreat to the countryside. So it, it makes perfect sense. It's the place where we can actually connect much better with God. Uh, we can find a more effective devotional life and, and experience less distraction. There's some other things you can imagine that we should find in the city, not just the houses of worship. It says our restaurants must be in the cities. For otherwise, the workers in these restaurants could not reach the people and teach them the principles of right living. So the restaurant work, I actually have some friends here, um, Christina and Daniel McPeters, and they have a restaurant in a wonderful place in Appalachia. And, the, you know, you start small and you see how the Lord continues to multiply that work. Christina's Kitchen, you can, you can Google it, find out, about, find out more about the work that they're doing. Simple restaurant work. And the people that come to the faith because of restaurant work is incredible. I'll, I'll share a brief story about that a little bit later. But the reason is because we need to be where the people are. Now, could you imagine, let's put, let's put the restaurant where our outpost center is, 30 minutes outside of town, the person that works in the Skyrise who's on his one-hour lunch break is not going to drive the half an hour to get to your restaurant. That's just not convenient. Taco Bell is the most convenient, and so is McDonald's, and so is Arby's. So we need to be where the people are. The mission field is where the people are, and so our, our, our city work, should uh, the work that is spe specifically to meet the needs of the people in the community need to be where the people can be found ease of access. We want the customers to be able to know how we live. We want them to be able to relate to us. We want to be able to share uh, in life with them. This is critical. This is our opportunity to share Christ. Also, in conjunction with the restaurant work, um, there's another aspect that is brought in there. God would have restaurants established in the cities. If properly managed, these will become missionary centers. In these restaurants, Publication should be kept at hand, ready to present to those who patronize the restaurant. So, you know, I'm sure you're already thinking in your mind, what are all the different things that you could actually have in an outpost center? I mean, Spirit of Prophecy mentions some things, but that's just the beginning. I mean, just let your imaginations go of what things would really make sense to have in the countryside. How can all of those things be connected to the work in the cities? our publications, selling our produce in the cities, and all of a sudden people are getting homegrown foods and they can come to our farm and see what it's like on our farm. They can work with us for a day. There's um, a ministry in, in Czech Republic that has a vegetarian restaurant, several vegetarian restaurants actually, and several um, health food stores called Country Life. Maybe you've, some of you have heard of that, that name, and they have Country Life restaurants in downtown Prague, and they are popular. And it's interesting because at their outpost where they have their farm, um, they have a harvest festival once a year. And thousands of people show up to their farm because they're used to dining in their restaurant. They're used to their baked goods. They're used to going into their health food store and buying natural skincare products, things like this. And they go to, to this harvest festival and hear a Christian message. They hear Christian music. This is something that people that their customers otherwise may not ever experience, but they have that connection with that restaurant because they go there on a regular basis. It's where they are. It's where they work. And so, you know, these are the perfect places to put our publications, the perfect opportunity to really um, link evangelism with our businesses in the cities. That, that overlap should be taking place as much as possible. 
And another link to our restaurants, it says, I have been given light that in many cities it is advisable for a restaurant to be connected with treatment rooms. The two can cooperate in upholding right principles. In connection with these, it is sometimes advisable to have rooms that will serve as lodgings for the sick. These establishments will serve as feeders to the sanitariums located in the country. So obviously we're thinking about making it as practical as possible. Treatment rooms, we could maybe reterm that and call it a clinic, you know, an outpatient clinic in, in the town, uh, or even a spa. You know, people love to get massages and they, and they love to get facials and things like this. What are some natural ways we can reach the people in, in the language of today? These treatment rooms, that's what it is. And so these should be in connection with our restaurants. Um, and the incredible thing is the people that go to these treatment rooms, for example, they've enjoyed our healthy, healthy um, dining. They head over for their spa treatment, for their massage. Um, to try and aid their aches and pains. And, you know, they form a connection with the people that work there. And that is an encouragement to them to, you know, on my next vacation, why don't I take 10 days and drive a half an hour outside of the city and go to that wellness center? I already know these people. And I can learn more, and I, you know, then I can get a massage every day for 10 days. I mean, this is what people are thinking. They're, they're looking for these opportunities, not just for vacation, not just for relaxation, um, also for their, their physical ailments. So we can see how all these things are really designed to link together. And I, I really believe there was, there was wisdom in God's design in this and so many ways that we can get involved. It's interesting because it's not just... Um, what we do in our daily lives, these outpost ministries, there's also implications for the very last days. And this is something that I think is an incredible provision that God has given us. And this next quote is actually Percy McGann, um, one of the founders uh, with Sutherland of Madison College, sharing as he was contemplating the size of their farm, no less, at, at Madison School. It says, at first, we felt that the school farm was too large. We had planned in our own minds an ideal school farm which should be small but kept so clean and orderly that it would be a model. When we told Sister White our objections to the size of the farm, she said that the time would come when many that are now living in the cities would be forced to leave in order to live the truth, and that we should make the farm a place of refuge where some of these could stop for a while and be taught how to make a living from the soil. Then they would have the courage to go out into the country. So this is incredible because it's not just, okay, we're going to have our outpost center for today and for the next day. If we think about it, we know that the final verses of Revelation 13 are going to take place. There is going to be a Sunday law imposed. There is going to be time where we cannot buy or sell. There is going to be a time where really the faithful are going to need to get out of the cities. Well, where are they supposed to go if that's the, their last chance to even exit. They don't have their gardens already established. They don't have their country home already built. And all of a sudden, these outpost ministries can become a place of refuge. They can become a sanctuary, uh, a new home for those Christians that are leaving the cities so that they can actually live out their faith. And so all of a sudden, it's like, okay, no, McGann, you're thinking too small on that farm. You're going to need a whole lot more produce than that once the, once the time comes for people to be leaving the cities. And so I think it's, it's really um, amazing to see how 
God has given us this work to have to to be a powerful influence in the very last moments of this earth's history. People will make their way to the outpost centers like the animals filed into the ark. And they'll know that this is a place of refuge because they will have already built those relationships with us as we left our outpost centers to do work in the cities, in our restaurants, in our outpatient clinics, in our treatment rooms, selling our produce, things like this. Sometimes we like to congregate as Adventists, right? We do it on Sabbaths and we do it at Wednesday night prayer meeting. And some of us do it every day of our lives by living in Adventistvilles. I live in one. I used to live in another. You know, the place where it's like, oh yeah, there's another Adventist. Oh yeah, they're heading to church. Oh yeah, they serve veggie burgers at our fast food places here. Things like that. But it's interesting because when we, when we put that concept of congregating as Adventists really be, before, that, before Revelation 13 takes place, when we talk about congregating, there's something we really should be keeping in mind when we're trying to consider what work the Lord would have for us. And um, the book Publishing Ministry shares a little bit about that. It says, let those who are thinking of settling at Mountain View, which is where there was some publishing work taking place, remember that this is not wisdom unless they are called there to connect with the publishing work. The world is large. Its needs are great. Go make new centers in places where there is need of light. Do not crowd into one place making the same mistake that has been made in Battle Creek. There are hundreds of places that need the light God has given you. So all of a sudden, when we're considering how we can get involved, you know, if, you, if you've already had some ideas of, you know, I really love cooking, like I could start a restaurant, get a few more friends together, we can establish something outside of the city. Or if you think, I can definitely do a farm, like that is my skill. Or as was mentioned, I'm an accountant and there's already a ministry that I know they need an accountant. There's a lot of ministries that need accountants. You know, so things like this, you can get connected. And if there's actually a work for you to do there, then go there. But if you are not really into writing, why go to a publishing house, for example? You know what I'm saying? So we need to really think about, okay, where, are, where is there work to be done that is already established? How can I get connected there? But if I'm trying to fit, you know, a square peg in a round hole, Maybe what God is asking me to do is start something new with the gifts that he's given me. How can I do that? How can I go make new centers and, and continue spreading that light? So the, to me, the exciting thing about, about Outpost Ministry as a singer is that there's something for everybody to do. And even though I never anticipated I would use music in ministry, in missions, exactly that is what happened. I work mostly in communication, but I guess music is just another form of communication. So it's really interesting how God can really take whatever um, skill set he's given you, career he's given you, and he can give you the idea for how to turn that into an outpost ministry or how to connect that, how to make that connection for a city mission in connection with an outpost ministry. What we really need are continuous moments where we are dying to self. And I've really personally found that that's what outpost ministries provided for me, those opportunities to, ju to just draw near to people that needed it and to, to lose sight of self. Um, in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, it says, while the world needs sympathy, while it needs the prayers and assistance of God's people, while it needs to see Christ in the lives of his followers, 
The people of God are equally in need of opportunities that draw out their sympathies, give efficiency to their prayers, and develop in them a character like that of the divine pattern. It is to provide these opportunities that God has placed among us the poor, the unfortunate, the sick, and the suffering. They are Christ's legacy to his church, and they are to be cared for as he would care for them. In this way, God takes away the dross and purifies the gold, giving us that culture of heart and character which we need. And I'm sure some of you have experienced in whichever way God has called you to serve. You know, sometimes we may think, I'm there to help that person. I'm there to be a blessing to that person. And we discover in the end that the biggest work needed to be done in our own hearts. And God was doing us a service by, by giving us those opportunities to be among people that had great need. And if he was able to, in spite of ourselves, bless them, hallelujah. But generally speaking, we are the ones that leave the most blessed because there was a great work that needed to be done in our own hearts and lives. And, and I think Outpost Ministries is that way. You know, there's many other ways, but from my experience, that way to connect with people in need. When, you know, someone from the village comes and they've been struggling with, with diabetes for so long, that they're not really sure how much longer they have to live and they start eating raw and they start walking a mile which is more than they've walked in quite some time and that continues to grow and they start seeing changes in their body and they start enjoying those hymns that that the rest of the campus is sing, singing and they start accepting the messages that are being preached there that person that was in need becomes a missionary somewhere else as well and we can be a part of that happening in people's lives. For the rest of um, our time together, I just want to share with you um, kind of briefly different ministries that have needs out there. Obviously, I can't even share all of them, but it's just to give you an idea. Really, the goal in talking about um, Outpost Ministry is that you can return home and pray about how the Lord would specifically have you get involved, that um, you would not be afraid to say, you know, I'm a mechanic. There must be some place for me to serve. Or, you know, I've, I've, been, uh, I've had the opportunity to raise my kids. They're grown. They're out of the home now. How can I serve? What is the work that God is calling me to? There is something specific for each one of us. So I just want to share a few ministries that I have the privilege of working with um, at the ministry I serve with, Outpost Centers International. Um, this one you may be familiar with, Fountain View Academy. They're based in Canon, British Columbia. They are a boarding school. They have about 85 students. And um, you may especially know them by their music. Um, they produce DVDs. You'll find them with their violins and the pianos on cliffs and in front of the Coliseum. I mean, it's just like it would be amazing to be a, a high school student and have that experience, right? This is um, an outpost center. They're able to take music and, and minister in many different communities around the world. And, and there are stories of, of people um, having received the Steps to Christ DVD that, that Fountain View Academy put together and coming to know Christ, making a decision for Christ through that. Well, as you can imagine, if it's a school campus, you need deans, you need cooks. You know, as I mentioned, this, this is a school. They teach them practical things. They need 
people working on the farm and teaching the students how to, how to do media because the students are completely involved in all this production. Somebody needs to be filming the cameras, you know, um, in, in behind the cameras. They need people with experience in, in counseling. There's all sorts of different areas just in one school where people can get involved. Or going to Africa, to Tanzania, Kibidula is a farm in Tanzania and they have a primary school, they have an agriculture school, especially for people that are not able to actually complete secondary education. Um, you know, to give them a trade, something that they can, they can work with in the future. Um, they build one-day churches throughout the country. They have a wellness center, evangelism school, um, training people to really be practical. They publish Bibles and other Christian literature. Um, and they also have their particular industries, avocados. They, have, they grow Haas avocados. So if you, if you are some avocado lovers, I encourage you to go to Tanzania. You'll have plenty to choose from. They have an aviation program as well. So just think of all the things there that they need. They need people who have an understanding of the soil, people that understand how to, make, how to sell, how to market these, these things. So maybe you wouldn't think a marketer uh, would be beneficial in the, in, the, in the mission field, but in fact, that can be very helpful for a ministry who's trying to support themselves. They need people who can repair the engines of the airplanes. They need people who can um, teach these little children um, and, and manage um, the wellness center, people with business management skills, in addition to health uh, professionals. Or Czech Republic, I mentioned um, earlier, the Country Life restaurants in Prague and also their health food stores. Well, there was a, a gentleman who, was, who became familiar, obviously, with the Country Life restaurants from the Czech Republic and he became a Seventh-day Adventist and teamed up with, with Country Life Prague to start Springs of Health, which they produce um, a bi-monthly health magazine they, um, that goes throughout the Czech Republic and, and Slovakia. They also um, publish health articles on their website, and they, they don't actually have their own... Um, wellness center where they, you know, where people are constantly able to come. So they got innovative and they rent out a hotel several times a year. So, you know, the fact that they don't have that, their own piece of property for the lifestyle center did not limit um, the work that God was able to do in that aspect. So they have their lifestyle sessions at a hotel several times a year. They do cooking classes, health seminars. They team up with other ministries in Czech Republic um, to do evangelistic meetings and health expos. And they developed a community center in, in also in downtown Prague. So just think of all the aspects where people can get involved. I mean, if you have, if you have uh, health expos, you need health professionals. You need people that are graphic designers to put your magazine together and editors to make sure you've got the commas in the right spot. You need people that are able to fix a broken down website. Things like this, very practical things that you know, people study in school, but we don't always make those connections about how God can use that in ministry. Um, in India, Living Springs Overseas Missions, they run orphanages. They have um, a midwifery program. They have, provide vocational training. The, the, the students learn welding and carpentry, mechanics and sewing. Um, so many different opportunities for people to, to serve in that regard. You know, besides teachers, just think, especially um, those the parents whose kids have already grown up, I just have to tell you, the, those that run um, Living Springs Overseas Missions, 
they're in their retirement years and they've been there for decades. And it's incredible to see the care that they have for these children. So just think, you know, maybe some of you, you parents here or those who maybe never did have children but would love to have children to take care of, there's orphanages all over the place that are looking for loving Christian people to teach these children about Jesus. Um, they need practical vocational teachers. They need farmers. Um, they need medical professionals to help teach other people about midwifery. I mentioned um, Vida Internacional in Honduras, um, the ministry where I, where I served for several years. Um, you know, they have a medical missionary training program as well, a bilingual elementary school, so they need teachers whose native language is English to, to work with these children that are coming to learn the Adventist message through, um, through elementary education. And their parents are coming to the faith and are being baptized uh, when they hear their kids singing these Bible songs in English and things like this. They need cooks. They need, you need communication people to share your mission stories. Wildwood Lifestyle Center is a little bit closer to home. Um, they have a wellness center, a medical missionary training program. In fact, this year they celebrated their 75th anniversary. So they've been around a long time, have so much experience, and so many of their missionaries have started other things as well. So that's been incredible. Outpatient clinic. Just think, you need deans, you need nurse practitioners, um, people with IT background. Salt Ministries in Cambodia also, they, one incredible thing that they do in addition to their orphanages and medical missionary work there is um, they provide media ministry resources in the Khmer language. So, you know, there's so many interesting opportunities out there, um, just maybe depending on your background on the gifts that God has given you that can be used. Um, to Brazil, Amazon Lifesavers Ministry. This is a medical boat launch on the Amazon River. So they need pro medical professionals, dental professionals, um, and they train people. They train their students to work in unentered areas. And you know, one need that they have in particular is Bible workers. Um, but just think of those incredible opportunities out there and the different, the different ways that God is using people. Riverside Farm Institute in Zambia, back to Africa, they have a a long history of, of medical missionary work and really influencing the growth of, of outpost ministry in Africa with their clinic, they have a wellness center, gardening courses, tailoring courses, just really ways to make ministry practical for the, for the, the local people there. Dozens of Bible workers that are stationed all around Zambia. They have 25,000 banana plants. So there's plenty of work to be done there, all the bananas you could need for quite some time. Um, they need dentists, they need teachers, they need health professionals. Um, really, what I want to leave you with is that there's something for everybody. Sometimes when I'm at the, the, the OCI booth, people will come and say, you know, I'd really like to serve, but this is what I do. I really don't know what to do with that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm this, that, and the other. I, you know, I'm a baker, or I'm a bookkeeper, or, you know, I studied engineering. It's like, there is something. I guarantee you there is something. The Lord can direct you to that very thing. Um, as we finish up, I just want to share with you, if any of you are, have any questions or are interested in more information, um, you, there, the, the volunteers at the back, the ushers, will be handing out a, a card, a ticket to missions card, for anybody that is interested in getting a quick glance at some opportunities that are out there at some of um, our outpost ministries. And um, it's just a great opportunity to see how you can get involved. Um, or if you just have any other questions about Outpost Ministries, I can give you some suggestions of 
Book Street, if you can get your, your hands on um, the book Madison, God's Beautiful Farm by Ira Gish, that will be an inspiration, a blessing to you. Also, um, the book uh, Compendium on, on City Outpost Evangelism, um, which was a dissertation by James Lee, that would also be a blessing to you. And just want to encourage you to allow the Lord to, to really use you um, however he wants to, to really finish this work together. So I invite you to stand as we pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you do have a work for each one of us. You have a special place. You have um, a part of the vineyard that we need to be serving in, and there's people there that are waiting to hear the message, and you're waiting for us. And I just want to pray, Lord, that you would continue to work on people's hearts as they think more about Outpost Ministry or the other types of evangelism that are being talked about over the course of this, this series um, in Mission Possible. And I just ask, Lord, that you would lay a special burden on people's hearts to get involved, no matter what, to get involved. And that through that experience, Lord, you would work our salvation. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.